All right, all right. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Blockument. Crypto education through everyday conversations. That's right. My name's Nate Talbot. I'm the executive director of Detroit Blockchain Center. And to my right is... Ashley Rose. I am your everyday mother. I'm a reseller. And I am on a journey to figure out what all of this crypto stuff is about. Right. I just had an uh, image of, like, Wizard of Osry with you skipping down the Bitcoin brick road oh, or something. Yeah. Trying to find the wizard of... Uh, Blockchain or something. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what I feel like. I feel like I'm lost in Oz, but uh, you're helping me get down, get down the right path here. All right, all right. And where are we at today, as far as timestamp in the show? Yes. Yeah, so we are at block height seven hundred eighty-six thousand six hundred and ninety-one. Um, the total subsidies and fees are one hundred and seventy-six thousand three hundred and eighty-five dollars. Um, who won uh, via pool one, and the block size is 1.7 megabytes. Nice. Um, but I had a question because um, as I was going to look at this to give the information, I was wondering if I called it the block number 786-691, would that be correct, or is it spe- is it specifically all of that is the block height? Good question. So it you're not incorrect. That's the block number. There's been, what did we say the number was? There's been <laughs> 786,691 blocks since the Genesis block mm-hmm. was born in January 2009. Um, but we call it block height, not block number, because um, it's easier to visualize sort of the security model, hmm. right? Um, you had the Genesis block. That was the very first one Satoshi mined. Then you had block one, two, three. If you think of it as a stack of sort of like blocks, mm-hmm. well, there's the immutable property of blockchain, right? So that comes from um, it comes from a lot of things. It's the hashing and stuff I won't get into too deep. But if you think of it like a block, the the more this block gets buried, the harder it is to change because you can't just change... Um, like if you wanted to double spend, you can't just do it in one block. You have to update every single block yeah. from that point up. Like all the blocks preceding it. Uh, yeah, after it. Yeah. Um, because um, of how the hashing works, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why if I send you a confirmation right now, if I send you a transaction right now, um, even if you had one confirmation, that just means you're the very top block. And while it's really really difficult to change just that mm-hmm. it's not impossible mm-hmm. um and there are some other factors that could make that sort of an incorrect um block the other thing um but when another block comes on top of that it gets even exponentially harder not just like one time harder to fake it like exponentially more difficult um and so every block so it used to be the rule of thumb um you would wait for six confirmations with Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. Six confirmations becomes mathematically close enough to zero odds chance that somebody has double spent and took your coins back mm-hmm. um, where you don't even have to worry about it. But nowadays, um, the hash rate's sort of high. Um, you know, you probably don't even have to wait six blocks. Mm. You could probably wait a couple blocks 
So it's, just, so it's progressively getting um, more secure, basically. Yeah. And as time goes on, then you can probably wait less and less blocks. Right. Um, I mean, you have some places now, depending on the size of the transaction, there's a lot of businesses that don't wait for it to get into a block at all. Um, they just sort of wait for the mempool, which is sort of like just you announcing, hey, I've actually sent Ashley yeah. some money. Mm-hmm. And then you see that. And it's either such a small transaction, it's not worth the computational yeah. effort for me to cheat you out of a dollar, mm-hmm. right? The, the <laughs> yeah. tons of money I'd have to spend for that. Yeah. Or you know me already, and it's like, all right, you know, if you're a regular at a bar and you pay your tab, yeah. they just have to see it in the mempool because they yeah. know you'll be back yeah. next week or tomorrow. Yeah, like I know where you live, so. <laughs> right. Um, no, it's not very, it's still, that'll never be a very secure method, mm-hmm. but it's a thing. Excellent. Um, and that's not just, this isn't just a, you know, we're sort of speaking around Bitcoin, but this process generally is the same for um, most chains. Hmm. Um, methodologies change a little bit depending on the design. Like Ethereum, same sort of thing. You announce it, it goes into a mempool. And then uh, once it gets, nowadays with proof of stake, now when it gets validated, mm-hmm. the validators, um, it's way more complex than this with Ethereum now, but. <laughs> Basically, the validators see it in the mempool, throw it into the block, and that's how you know. But you could, when you see it in the mempool, you could accept it as taken as well. Okay. But Ethereum's a lot faster with its block confirmation times. So then calling, so then calling that block hype is like more accurate than. Yeah, it's a better visualization. Okay. But saying the block number isn't wrong. Okay. All right, and that wasn't even today's show. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so you get a two for today. That's right, two for one. Two for one. Now today's actual show. What are we talking about today? Sex first dex. What? what is the difference? Well. Yeah. Sounds like you're getting. I know. And then I wanted to clarify that is C E X versus D E X. Oh. Yeah, it's a soft C. Soft C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so definitely yeah. not the same. All right. Um. So what is sex versus dex? So we're talking about centralized exchanges versus decentralized exchanges. Yes. Um, what is the difference? Well, we touched on this, I feel like, a couple a couple of times. Um, but the, I guess the difference is supposed to be that, um, okay, so a centralized exchange is like um, kind of like traditional, what we know uh, in maybe like a Robin Hood or like um, it's a centralized exchange. Mm-hmm. And then the DEX, DEX, is a decentralized exchange and it's supposed to be um, not controlled by a central person or point or I would say central even group of people. Mm-hmm. But from what I know, that doesn't ex- it quite exist yet, but I guess we'll touch on that. But um, So that's what I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the Roma DeFi now, right? Sort of like what we covered in the last episode, just basically like what is DeFi? Um, yeah, I mean, in general, you have it. I think So I guess we can get into more technical differences because <laughs> it's pretty self-explanatory what the difference is, but why does it matter, I guess, is the big thing. Um, and, you know, even for people who are... Um, in this for speculative reasons they have these um i usually think it's helpful at least it's helpful for me to sort of realize what's happening under the hood even if you're using a centralized exchange right so your centralized exchanges we're talking about 
Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, KuCoin, OK Exchange, um, and I have yet to mention the world's largest exchange yet because that can get tricky because it is both a centralized exchange and quote unquote decentralized exchange, mm, um, which of course is Binance. Yeah, okay, that's that my guess. Yep. Based off of the show notes. <laughs> Based off of the show notes, Binance versus Binance, yeah, right? Yeah. Um. But I think it's really helpful to understand how a centralized exchange works to really grasp how a decentralized exchange works and why that's useful, besides just throwing the word decentralized on it, yeah, which is definitely an uh, overused thing, I yeah. feel like. It's like catchy and like glamorous these yeah, days. Yeah. Everything's decentralized. Decentralized this. It's decentralized yeah. that. It's like, yeah. no, no, it's probably not. Even when we talked about DeFi. Um, past couple years, some people have uh, said it would be more accurate to call it open finance versus decentralized mm-hmm. finance because it is open. You know, um, anybody can see what's happening under the hood, but it's not very decentralized. Mm. But centralized exchanges, <laughs> let's talk about that. Uh, how does these, uh, how does a centralized exchange work? What's happening if you go to, I don't know, KuCoin, and you want to buy some crypto? Okay, yeah, so that's a kind of a main difference, I guess, that I skipped over. <laughs> I, at least I think is what you're getting at. Um, so if you buy something from a centralized exchange, you don't technically hold the keys. Is that what you're getting at? Um, no, because oh, I think okay. that's what I feel like, but I mean, that's a good... Point. I feel like most people um, would understand that um, not your keys, not your coins, and yeah. centralized exchanges are definitely not your keys. Um, but no, just without comparing it to um, any, I'm not. This isn't really a gotcha. It's just like really, how does like a Coinbase operate? When you go in and want to say you want to buy a hundred dollars worth of mm-hmm. Ethereum. What are you actually doing? What's happening? Um, well, I'm going to say that I don't exactly know, but I have heard you mention it before, so I should know. Um, so I'm going to call myself out there. Um, but I, I think you said something along the lines of, like, you you call out that you want to make um, this either sell or buy, and then let's say KuCoin or Coinbase, they're like, okay, this person wants to do this, and then they try to connect you to somebody else who something like that like like or like they like take a piece or something i i forget exactly like you got it okay (laughs) have you you're you're doing well on your journey okay thank you have 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 some confidence you're there (laughs) um yay so yeah that's exactly what's going on right uh you're not buying people have this um mindset that they're buying from um an exchange in the same way, like, you go into a store and if you're going to buy some cookies, you're buying them from the store. Right. Which is accurate, right? The store goes to the cookie manufacturer or distributor, buys them from them, puts them on the shelf, and then you walk in and you buy it from the store. Right. Now, that's sort of what happens <clears throat> on a on a uh, exchange like Robinhood, right? You are sort of buying it from them. It's a little more complicated than that, but it's more accurate to what people envision versus you go to like a Coinbase, a Kraken, a KuCoin, you're not really buying it from them. They are just matchmakers. 
Yeah. Right? It's like going to a, a swap meet. Right, mm-hmm. The swap meet itself isn't selling you anything. They're just providing a place for buyers to go meet sellers, and they figure out what they want to do with pricing, which is why the price fluctuates all the time. Mm. Whenever you see the most recent like Bitcoin price, yeah, what you're looking at is that is the price, the very last Bitcoin that was sold, mm-hmm. that's how much somebody was willing to pay for it. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point because um, I remember – a few years ago, someone was telling me, because like somebody asked me, like, okay, what's the point, the price of Bitcoin? And I, I was checking on Coinbase, and they were checking on somewhere else. And I told them, and they're like, no, it's this. And I'm like, I'm looking at it. This is what it says. And they're like, oh, well, that's because um, there's different like fluctuations. And it blew my mind. I was like, how is that? How is that possible? But well, it's because it's not different yeah. fluctuations. And right now. The price of let's see, Bitcoin, because I got that stream. The price of Bitcoin is, according to my number right now, it's $27,548, right? Okay. Now, you can look, and it might be $27,532, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it's not that either one of us are wrong. We're both entirely right. I might be looking at the last price Bitcoin was bought or sold for on Kraken, mm-hmm. and you're looking at the last price Bitcoin was bought or sold for on Binance. Mm-hmm. Those are two different swap meets. Yeah. Again, think of the swap meet yeah. concept, right? Yeah. If I'm on the east side of town, you're on the west side of town, and we're both buying an iPad, we might both pay a different price. Yeah. Right? For the same yeah. thing, because we're yeah. in two different marketplaces. Yeah. But then you'll go someplace like CoinGecko or um, CoinMarketCap, someplace that's telling you the price, or like what I just did, looked at my watch, and what they do is they look at a bunch of exchanges. Mm. And then when they're predicting the price, they're not picking and choosing one. They're taking an average. Okay. Right? On average, this is the price it's going for. But depending on your uh, area, and this allows you to do things like arbitrage. Yeah. Right? Um, and for, if you don't know what arbitrage is, that's when you take advantage of that price difference. I notice it's $10 cheaper mm-hmm. on one exchange than the other, so I'll go to the cheap exchange and buy it, yeah. then go right over to the ex- more expensive exchange and sell, sell it, it. <laughs> and then keep the, pro- keep the profits, right? Um, and this is sort of leads into exactly why you want a decentralized exchange, because think of how slow that would be in a centralized world, right? If you are not the actual market maker, if mm-hmm. you're not the uh, the one um, introducing the, the two sides of the buy-sell, mm-hmm. how are you arbitraging? You can do it, but it's really, really hard and slow. But if you're connected to the middle, the closer you are to the actual seeing the books on all the exchanges and being there at all of them at the same yeah. time, the more advantage you have. And um, having a DEX would get you closer to the, the being able to see the books. It, it can, yes. Okay. But this is, in a real-world practice, this is similar to what happened with, like, this is sort of how Robinhood works, right? And this isn't solely Robinhood, but any place where they, like, don't charge you fees, yeah. right? If, if, you, if you get it for free, you're the product, mm-hmm. right? So you go to a Coinbase, and um, they're charging you a fee on every transaction. That's how they make their money, right? right? So theoretically, they don't. They're not making money off of you, so they're they avoid the arbitrage snare. They leave it to the traders to do that. Mm-hmm. Theoretically, yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Just 
shouldn't be happening. <laughs> but other places, like a Robinhood, what happens is they see all these trades and everything you're doing on Robinhood is paper. You're not actually swapping like on a Coinbase. You are generally, if you give them $100, they're sending you $100 of Bitcoin. Now it's sitting in their wallet. Right. So you got to not your keys, not your coins. But in all other technicalities, it's your Bitcoin. It's there. Right? Yeah. Um, with Robinhood, you're just paper trading. So I say they're, they're really taking my money, right? Yeah. Um, and they're really taking, if you... If you had it, you know, Robinhood is more custodial. At least it was the last time I've messed with that. I haven't been on Robinhood in a while. <laughs> but it's very custodial, so it's not like you're sending Bitcoin from your wallet to Robinhood to send to me. Mm-hmm. Right? You bought your Bitcoin. They, You took money, bought Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but you didn't really buy any Bitcoin. You just bought a receipt for mm-hmm. one day maybe you'll get this Bitcoin. Yeah. And so we're just trading receipts. And what they'll do is batch all those receipts, and they'll sell those to, like, whoever their partner is for the highest bidder, and this is sort of what happened with that GameStop thing a couple of years ago. Mm. You know, they uh, the the people who were shorting or were longing GameStop were making all the money against the big guys who were trying to short it. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the big players don't like that, so they hit pause on your ability to sort of go long, yeah. which allowed them to reclaim the market. Um, so you have market manipulation, right? Uh, and so these are the reasons why the concept of a decentralized exchange pop off. Because if you have a system where you can do all this trading in a transparent manner, mm-hmm. I see sort of what's happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's much harder to um, front run or abuse the situation that the, the financial opportunities are still there. You can still arbitrage, um, and there's plenty of front running that does happen. Um, but, but you can at least you see, yeah. oh, look, I just got screwed. <laughs> you would yeah. never know if you got screwed on, on yeah. like, a Gemini unless somebody snitched. Yeah. Right? At least you see it like, oh, I got a real great deal. Oh, I just got screwed. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so that's the big difference. Um, and there's another key thing that sort of revolutionized and kicked off um, popularity indexes, which is sort of how the buys and sells are met. So in a centralized exchange, you have market makers and market takers, right? And essentially what that means is um, you have these open books, right? If you go, if you ever go on an exchange um, and the actual pro version of the exchange, okay. most of them have it. Yeah. And if you have the regular account, usually the pro version is free. Mm-hmm. You just, it's trickier to get to it. Um, but you'll see like these numbers in red and these numbers in green. Okay. Right? So your greens are your buys, your reds are your sells, yep. and you can see the bids. You can see everybody bid, and it's like an auction house. Okay. Right? I'm going to go out and be like, I'm willing to pay, you know, Ethereum is, let's say, $2,000 right now. I'm willing to pay um, $1,999.95. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're selling, and you're like, well, I'm not selling for less than $2,000.15. Yeah. Right, and then eventually everybody's screaming these out, and when you find two Death people who match, match, trade happens. Right, um, that works fairly well for centralized exchanges, and this isn't just how crypto works; it's like how the stock market works. You know, so if you watch a, a old Wall Street movie, especially from like the '80s, mm-hmm. 
you would see all the people on the floor. Yeah. Like, oh, bye-bye, sell, sell, trade, trade, yeah. sell, sell. That's yeah. literally what's happening on the digital exchange oh. when you go into the interface. You're literally doing that. Oh, wow. Right? And you're just lis- yelling and listening. There's somebody there like, all right, all right, these match. Give me this. Give me this. Swap. Boom. Trade. I always wondered what the <laughs> heck they were doing and why they were yelling. Right. No, well, now it's just newscasters because this all happens with computers. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but even with the computers, that's what's happening. Um, and it works fairly well in a centralized realm because you have somebody controlling sort of that that meat, yeah. right? Um, they did that originally with decentralized exchanges um, when they first popped off. One of the first ones I'm aware of, I'm not saying it's the first decentralized exchange, but it's one of the first, definitely one of the most popular first ones was IDEX. Mm-hmm. Who recently made a comeback, like in the past year or two? Yeah, I've been familiar with that. Um, the problem with that is a liquidity, right? Uh, uh, any exchange is it's only as good as liquidity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what liquidity is. I'm going to see you ask. Oh, um, oh, oh, no, that one I know. Because you know, right? No, that one I know. All right, but, you're but we'll on, you're on the inside loop of the well, trading yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm learning too much. Sorry, guys. Yep. I'm failing you. What is liquidity? <laughs> now we got to bring in even more new new, yeah. new people. Um, so liquidity. Um, well, what is liquidity? You tell us. Liquidity is um, money that's like liquid, ready to be paid out or um, accessible. Right. Funds, funds that are accessible. Right. Well, yeah, and how do you generate that by, if you're an exchange, you generate liquidity by making sure a lot of people are in your market. Again, think of the swap meet, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Or a mall, right? Maybe mm-hmm. if people aren't familiar with what a swap meet is, but if <laughs> most people know what a mall is. Yeah. How, how good is your mall? Why would um, Macy's or whoever want to be in the mall mm. if you don't have any shoppers? People with money on hand? That, that kind of well, you need people with money on hand. Yeah. That's what would make Macy's want to be there. But why are people with money in hand want to be there if you don't have any stores? Right. And so you have this initial kickoff problem, right? If you're a mall, mm-hmm. I gotta, I have an empty building. That's all you really have. I need to get vendors in here who yeah. want to sell stuff and yeah. buyers in here who want to buy stuff. And the vendors don't want to come if there's no buyers and the buyers don't want to come if there are no vendors. Right. And this is Marketplace 101 yeah. Problem you have to solve. Yeah. Right. Um, well, it's so, no different with an exchange. And so then liquidity would be the flow of that money. The f- liquidity is how many buyers and sellers are there. Okay. And if it's a lot, it's highly liquid. Mm. So if you go to a very popular mall, there's tons of top line stores, a wide variety of stores, so you can walk in and get anything you want to. Yeah. And if you're a, you know, and if you're a um, vendor. You know, there's tons of people looking to buy stuff. So then, when you say IDEX has a liquidity problem, is that is that on both sides, uh, or there's yes, because if you want to buy something, right? Yeah. If I want to, if you want to buy some Ethereum, and you go to IDEX, mm-hmm. and remember, here I'm talking about IDEX's liquidity of like 2018, not current. Okay. Um, excuse me. The. Uh, um, if you want to buy some ETH and you go to IDEX, mm-hmm. well, where are you buying it from? You got to buy it from somebody Supposed who's selling from somebody, it. Somebody, yeah. <laughs> well, what if nobody's there who's selling it? Yeah. 
there's no liquidity for you. And yeah. if I'm trying to sell some ETH and I show up and there's nobody willing to buy it, there's no liquidity. My my bid, when I say I'm willing to sell it for $2,000.15, yeah. I'm talking to a wall. So then could you also like score some smoking deals over there since like there aren't many people going to buy it? Well, what you get is this is how like arbitrage usually works, right? If you do get a few people over there, and especially if they're not very sophisticated traders, mm -hmm. um, which means they're more retail, noobs are not really know yeah. how the whole flow goes. Um, yeah, you take advantage because you're like this market. If the price, if the going price, if there's someone, if you're there and you're like, hey, I'm willing to sell ETH for two thousand dollars fifteen cents, mm -hmm. which means you've entered into a smart contract. Okay. Right, so at least you have twelve seconds before with East's block time. Mm -hmm. You have like twelve second loops where that's sort of locked in. So if I'm more sophisticated and I'm going someplace like a Binance decentralized exchange, right? Okay, that has tons more liquidity, or I'm going to Uniswap that has tons more liquidity okay. as a decentralized exchange. Mm -hmm. If the price on Uniswap, if the price of Ethereum boosts up, yeah really, really quick, mm -hmm. I can go over to, I, theoretically, I could go over to an IDEX or a, a, any exchange that has low Where liquidity. Where they're like lagging because they haven't caught up yet. They haven't caught up yet. And I can buy it there really, really cheap and then yeah. flip over to Uniswap and sell it really, really expensive. Yeah. And that would be the arbitrage. And that would be the arbitrage. Or the reverse could happen if the price pump d dumps, mm -hmm. right? I, oh, could, and I could buy it real cheap over on um, Uniswap mm -hmm. and then come to your exchange where you're selling, but you're locked in for a couple seconds, mm. right? Mm -hmm. At the very least, or maybe even longer because you're not paying attention. You yeah. placed the bid and walked away. Yeah. Um, and I can go take advantage. And all of a sudden, you bought, you just bought some ETH for $2,000 when the price dumped to 1300 mm -hmm. So you overpaid, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm, I'm smiling because that happened to me one time when I took a flight and I just sat... Um, a buy order and took yep. a flight. <laughs> yep. Now, and, you know, when I was doing trading heavy, that's why I didn't do day trading. Yeah. And it's where most people lose money. You have to be glued to a screen. Mm -hmm. And it's even worse with decentralized exchanges. You have to be even more glued because at least on a centralized exchange, mm -hmm. they close. Yeah. And there's a whole different level of regulation. So when you see huge swings, if you're doing like stock market trading, if you see huge swings in the market, they pause. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, when you say essentialized exchange, they close. Are you talking like... I'm talking more traditional Okay, because I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no. With like a Coinbase or something, they don't close. <laughs> okay. Right? Well, right. They don't sleep, but at least you have, if there's, let's say there's... There's situations even on a Coinbase where a little trick is sometimes you can always go into these um, centralized exchanges. Mm -hmm. You can do this really on any exchange. You can, um, well, any crypto exchange. You can set a bid ridiculously low to buy yeah. and a bid ridiculously high to sell because sometimes there's just these oh, yeah. weird fluctuations and spikes. Yeah. And you might just catch I a have, glitch. I have a couple of those. But with a centralized <laughs> exchange, Coinbase could see that and be like, nope, that was a technical glitch. Oh. We're reverting the sale. Dang, that's rude. Yeah, it's rude. But if you're the one who was on the losing end of the yeah. sale, you're like, whoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, there was no one there to help me. Right. When I had no. my problem. 
Right, was because they probably benefited. The I should have called me like that was a technical glitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm need that back. <laughs> and there's nobody to call if it's truly a decentralized exchange. Yeah. So you just get stuck in those types of yeah. scenarios. Um, so yeah, that's the sort of the big difference there. One of the big differences. Um, but then there's a lot of different advantages you can do with a decentralized exchange that are harder to do with a centralized exchange as well. Um, good and bad. So, like, you have any place that has any kind of um, DEX, you you introduce any kind of finance, really. It doesn't need a DEX, but DEX is sort of power the finance piece of money, yeah. right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go check out our What is Money versus <laughs> Finance episode. But um, you have this thing that used to be called minor extracted value, and now it's just called minimum extracted value mm-hmm. um which is just basically front running orders okay right um it's sort of the robin hood thing we just talked about if i'm a miner or now if i'm a even like a block validator or whatever if i'm the one confirming blocks or i'm really close to that level i get to see the mempool and i can see you do a trade and i can see an arbitrage that you don't see because i i have more sophisticated tools i'm just a more sophisticated trader mm-hmm. um and i can front run you i'm like okay she's trying to buy you know five hundred dollars of matic mm-hmm. um but what she doesn't know is xyz mm-hmm. so like within one transaction you put it in i catch it Modify, especially if I'm a miner. So that's mm-hmm. so why it was originally called miner extractable value. Well, I see that. I see some other transaction happening that allows me to extract some value. I front yeah. run yours, and then but still your do. trade still yeah. goes through. But you pay a little. You pay more in fees, or you get a worse price for the trade you were mm-hmm. trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just sort of feel like, oh, well. All right, because they tell you on the exchanges yeah, anyway, well, right? Yeah, what do, yeah. Well, they'll tell you, like, this is an estimate. The, yeah. the price yeah. swap, they always say, like, this is an estimate because we oh. have the time of the trade. Believe me, I know. Right. <laughs> but what really could be happening is you just got front run. Mm-hmm. And then I, if I'm doing batches and batches of these, yeah. I'm walking away with hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in profit just from front running. Yeah. You I'm know? definitely not that sophisticated. That is for sure. So yeah. I'm well, most people front, aren't. Front, left and right. I mean, it got <laughs> so bad on Ethereum, and not not because like Ethereum is designed worse than let's say an Avalanche or a Solana. Mm-hmm. It got bad on Ethereum because that's where DeFi happens, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it got so bad on Ethereum. You actually have this thing called like you got Mevbots, and you have these protocols built into. It's not really a protocol. You have these applications that run for um, validators and miners when there was still a proof of work chain Mm -hmm. where it just did the front running for the miners and for the validators. That's nice. For them. For them, yeah. (laughs) And this is a contentious area. You know, you have people on both sides of the bait. MEV is going to happen. So minimum extractable value MEV Mm -hmm. is going to happen. Maybe regardless, unless you really throw in a lot of privacy layers so, so transactions are blind, but then yeah. you, that introduces new problems, right? Yeah. Um, so until they figure that out, that's going to happen. So the, the the thinking behind the the most popular one, which I think is Flashbots, um, 
you run the software, it's not native to the protocol, but if you run the software, it'll do the front running for you and it makes that market at least more efficient. Mm -hmm. And if you're a buyer or seller, you know, you can at least, it's like, I, I know how I'm going to sort of get screwed. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And it lowers the threshold of how bad that front running can be. Yeah. Um... Of course, that gets manipulated now too, and you got like. And is that? And you said that's something that can only happen on sexes. Is that? Um, or it's more yeah, unlikely. yeah. That's a that's native to the that exact process is native to blockchain based applications. Um, but theoretically, it's the same thing. Like I said, Robinhood was doing, mm-hmm. except the big difference is when Robinhood does it. You don't see it. Yeah. All you see is the flashy casino lights yeah. in the app. Yeah. Right? With this, you see it because you can just look on chain and see, you know, I mean, if you ever use like Etherscan, mm-hmm. it'll show you when you, if you use a decentralized exchange and you go to your account, your wallet, and pull up that transaction, it'll show you the path it takes because you might not be able to buy. This is another thing that has to do with liquidity, right? You want to buy some, I don't know, you want to buy some Matic. Right, okay. but you only have AVAX token, okay. right? And there is no market mm. for AVAX tomatic. So when you put it in, what these decentralized exchanges will do is they'll route the payment. They're like, well, there's no AVAX matic. Yeah. There is an AVAX ETH, and then there's an ETH matic. Yeah. So we'll take your AVAX. You'll buy some ETH. Then you take your ETH. We'll buy some matic, and then kick that out to you. And you're saying there's not a pool for that when you say there's not. There's no liquidity for that. Now, we're still talking about the traditional model, right? Okay. So I guess we'll start shifting over. This is that model where it's an open marketplace, Okay. right? That was very inefficient. This is where I brought up IDEX. This is how IDEX and all of the decentralized exchanges, because that's how it works. Mm -hmm. That's how exchanges work. You just take what happens in the real world and you do it. Um, okay, I'm and, and, and when, okay, and just so, and then when you're saying there's no liquidity there, there because there's no one who's offering to sell that pair and no one looking to buy that pair. Right, the mall is empty. Okay, or there's like two people there and one crap. The Avax Tomatic brand dollar mall store. Yeah, it's run down. Okay, <clears throat> right. So that was a problem, and one thing you could they figured out how to do, and they more open way. I'll try to avoid trustless. Um, but hopefully we'll get it. we'll get there. Right. So I'll go ahead and say it because we're we're moving there. <laughs> the idea is how do we do this in a more trustless way? A way where um, I don't have to depend on anything or any third party. <clears throat> and so the concept of these automated market makers came into play, right? AMMs. And so these days, every, pretty much every decentralized exchange is an AMM style. You have a couple. I think when IDEX sort of relaunched, mm-hmm. they did this merger of both. But I'll explain what AMM. Do you know what an AMM is? No, I've heard. I should have asked before. I think I may have asked, but it's just something that I need to. Um, I think it'll. Better. As soon as I start explaining, you'll be like, "Oh, that's what that is." Okay. So instead of how do you solve the problem of an empty mall? Um, for finance, and what they decided to do is like, well, look, what if I could take market makers, the people who have extra money, mm-hmm. maybe you have a bunch of extra Ethereum, you're, you're just sitting there, you're just holding it. Yeah. What, um, you know, number go up is a good way to 
make profit if that's your incentive, right? If you're holding it to make money, that's yeah. one way to do it, but that's really slow. Okay. Comparatively to other methods like yield chasing, right? And yield is another one of those finance terms. Go check out the Money vs. Finance <laughs> episode we build here. You build in blocks. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so what if I'm starting a decentralized exchange um, and I want it to be decentralized and I want, you know, not to worry about um, these market maker things. How can I get you, who has all this extra Ethereum, mm-hmm. to just dump it in there and leave it? Not dump it because you want to buy, sell. Like, let me borrow it. Like provide liquidity? Okay. Provide liquidity. Okay, okay, okay. <clears throat> so you got 100 extra ETH sitting around. So you're like, cool, I'll play with 50 of it, right? So you'll come here and you'll say, here's 50 ETH. And I'll be like, thank you, and you lock it into this smart contract. Mm-hmm. You're not really giving it to me. You would put it in a smart contract. Okay. And then that smart contract would issue a receipt, right? Uh-huh. So now you have, you know, it's Nate's exchange, so you, now you have an ETH. Mm-hmm. Nate's ETH, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I got your ETH. I give you a receipt for Nate's ETH. And what that receipt promises you <laughs> is uh, at any point, you can bring this receipt back. And however much Nate's ETH, however much ETH you have in there. Mm-hmm. is how much you'll get. Is how much you'll get, right? Um, but on top of that, every time your ETH, every time somebody trades in my exchange, Mm-hmm. Those fees, those trading fees, mm-hmm. instead of it all going to me, I'll sp- I'll give it to you. I'll give you the fee. And if it's you and somebody else in there, well, I'll just split that fee between the two of you. And, so if you own half the pool, you'll get half the fees, hmm. right? So if, so so Nate, as the liquidity provider, is rewarding the person who is borrowing the liquidity. Also, the systems, yeah, the buyer is actually rewarding you because they're paying the fee. Mm. Right. So um, Alice comes through and she needs some ETH. Mm -hmm. She it's sitting in a pool. She doesn't have to say, hey, anybody, anybody here selling some ETH? Yeah, it's already there. There's a pool of ETH. Yeah. So she just has to come up and she'll spend her whatever. She'll spend her USDC Mm -hmm. and she'll get the ETH. She'll pay, let's say, uh, you know, two point fee. Mm -hmm. And if you. 100% 100% of that ETH in that pool that she pulled from is yours, you get 100% of that fee. Mm. If 2% of the ETH in that pool is yours, mm-hmm. you'll get 2% of that fee. Oh, I see. You get it proportional, right? So that's the basics of how it works. So the pool can have more than just Nate's ETH. It can have your Well, ETH, it doesn't have any Nate's ETH necessarily. It has ETH, ETH in it, right? You got Nate's ETH. That's your receipt. Oh, I see what you're it's saying. It's got ETH in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But... No, I got it. That's only half the story. Okay. Because if she's coming in with, let's say, a stable coin like USDC, okay. where does that stable coin go? Excellent question. Right. So you can't just have a one-sided pool of liquidity, right? I can't just have a f- pool full of ETH. I got to pair it with something. So I pair it with USDC, and mm-hmm. this becomes a USDC ETH pool. Mm-hmm. So anybody who has USDC and wants to buy ETH, they're going to come to this little yeah. marketplace that has you don't just put in why wouldn't 50 why ETH. wouldn't it why wouldn't it just like mm, sell it well then it, then it's because it's using the USD to um ETH. like why wouldn't it just be like exchange like okay sell her you you USDC get dollars and then buy it. but then it's just where like, are the dollars where is anything at 
Mm. You're at this decentralized pool. There are no people there. There's mm -hmm. nothing in there. Mm -hmm. So we've explained the basic model, right? But that means all that's there is ETH. If I come in and I I want to buy some of that ETH mm -hmm. and all I have is Bitcoin, yeah. where's that Bitcoin go? I see. Then it, there needs to be like a pair so that way. It needs to be a okay. pair. I get it. I get it. And so... I explained to you how it works, but yeah. there's one extra step to that, which is you can't just put in ETH. We need ETH. That's really what we're trying to sell. Right. But you also need to put in an equivalent amount of something else, right. a pairing. Right. So if we're talking about ETH and Bitcoin, okay. you would come in with 50 ETH, and then we'll say if ETH is $2,000 each, so that's 50 times 2,000. I'm not going to do the math because it's <laughs> breakfast bourbon time. But you have to come in with the exact same amount dollar-wise, using dollars as mm -hmm. the pairing mm -hmm. number, mm -hmm. you come in the exact same amount of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So you might have 50 ETH and you might have a half a Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And you're going to put both of those in the pool. And you're going to get a receipt, and like this compound receipt that says you had 50 ETH yeah. and you have uh, a half a Bitcoin. In total, that equals 2000 That equals twenty thousand dollars we'll yeah. say right so your receipts for twenty thousand mm -hmm. dollars now when now you're gonna walk away yeah you don't have to do anything it's sitting there buyers are gonna come people who want to buy eth with Bitcoin mm -hmm. they're gonna come to your pool and they're like here's some Bitcoin so here's one tenth of a Bitcoin yeah and the pool you created your half a Bitcoin will go down by a tenth and your ETH will go, well, your, your, your Bitcoin pool, I said it wrong. Your Bitcoin pool will go up by a tenth, mm -hmm. and your ETH will go, go down, down a little bit. Because yeah. now you, someone gave Bitcoin Gave you Bitcoin and took yeah. some ETH. Okay. Now, assuming prices don't move, or for some reason yeah. prices are locked and we're not seeing anything, yeah. you still got $20,000. Mm -hmm. It's just now the $20,000 is a little bit more in Bitcoin and a little bit less in ETH. Mm -hmm. And let's say you leave it there for a month. And at the end of all the people who come in and try to trade some Bitcoin for ETH or ETH for Bitcoin, they can go either way. Um, at the end of the day, you come back. Again, price hasn't moved. Mm -hmm. You still got 20000 but maybe that 20000 is now 25 ETH and 0.7 Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You have way more Bitcoin than you started with. Yeah. If the number is all the same, um, if the, the dollar amount is all the same, yeah. you, you've broke you you've broke even on that yeah. but now you have all the fees as well mm. right and however those fees are paid which is probably in my little <clears throat> this is where it gets all sketchy and stuff because i probably created my own token i'm gonna pay you the fee in my token yeah right um so as long as you think my token's valuable but but it could theoretically just pay you out the fees in eth or it could pay you the fees in bitcoin and is that you speaking as the dex yeah okay and that's um, kind of what ftx did right no, no. Oh, okay, never mind. Scratch FTX that, did that. nothing. Don't even. You've mentioned those who oh, shall sorry. not be named. I'm no. sorry. I thought that they. <clears throat> I thought that. Um... No, they're a centralized exchange. They didn't do anything. They they robbed people. Yeah. Um. Okay. This is how Uniswap works. Okay. Pancake Swap works. Um. Binance and decentralized exchange works. Token. They all have their own token. Um. We won't get into tokenomics, okay. but they all have their own token. Um, Uniswap actually didn't have its own token at first. Um, so how did they pay the... I think it was in ETH. 
I think you paid all your fees in ETH or wrapped ETH if you were on layer two. But and is that how you received your rewards also? Your well, your rewards are your yield. That's your okay. There are no rewards. That, those are oh, the rewards. The fees, the fees are, are, the are the rewards. rewards. Okay. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's how that would work. So now it incentivizes you, and that changes the model dynamic dynamics, right? Now you don't have to get a bunch of buyer and sellers who want to buy and sell the same thing. When we talked about what is money, mm -hmm. right? And we talk about history when people like to pretend like uh, barter trade systems is how societies ran, but it never ran because you have uh, uh, the tragedy of the of matching mm -hmm. goods Pairs. and services, yeah. right? Well, it's the same thing if you're on this exchange, you got oh. 2,000 different cryptos. Yeah. I show up to this exchange, I want to sell uni token for Matic, but you want to sell ETH for, you know, pancake, some cake tokens or something. Yeah. Where's the pairing? We're all here, but we're not trying to buy, sell the same thing. Instead, we have these pools, and you can go to an exchange and see, here's the pool I need. Or, remember we talked about that routing? Yeah. I want, we got a Bitcoin and ETH pool that you provided liquidity for, and I have an ETH and, I'm trying to just keep throwing different names out here, I have an ETH and Litecoin pool, mm -hmm. a lot of these pools wouldn't exist in most, but <laughs> um, you can come in with your B Bitcoin and get Litecoin because ETH is common in both of those pools, and what the decentralized exchange will do is it'll take your Bitcoin swap it for ETH, mm -hmm. then move it over to this other pool, take the ETH, sell it for Bitcoin, for Litecoin, and then shift you over the Litecoin, yeah. right? Um, I'm still a little stuck on um, the DEXs making you pay their fees in their special tokens. So in that sense, you would have to buy some of their tokens and so that way you're able to pay the, the fees for their exchange? Um, sometimes, um, sometimes no, because it depends on the protocol. It depends all on how it's set up. Um, a lot of them, no. Like a Uniswap, you don't need any Uniswap tokens to use Uniswap. You need ETH. So are you paying You're going to pay fees? a fee in ETH, right? Okay. Um, but they could choose to reward you using the Uniswap. So they'll take the ETH and convert it because they'll have their token in an ETH pool. Yeah. So all the ETH will go into that pool, and then when it comes time for you to get your fee, you'll get the Uniswap token for the fee. So that's interesting. Or they can give you the ETH. The, I mean, like I said, it depends on the exchange and yeah. their tokenomics and how... You know. I think I want to do a tokenomics episode one of these times. All right. <laughs> I'm going to write that um, down. Good, because then you'll see when that makes sense and when it doesn't make sense. Yeah, because I got all these questions, but I'm like, it's not a tokenomics episode. So. Yeah, but but this builds off of it, right? Yeah. Um, so that sort of changed the game because it allowed way more liquidity because I didn't have to match buyers and sellers yeah. at the time that they wanted to buy and sell. Right. I could just bring a bunch of people who who had extra right. and incentivized them to leave their money. So every time yeah. a buyer came yeah. or a seller showed up, they could just do yeah. it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like the guy who traded all the way, like a, a paper clip all the way for like a house. Yeah. Like you could, as long as you um, have like the pairings, you could, you could just trade. Yeah. Well, it's matching needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that unlocks other things as well. Um, we're not going to, really dive into but once you have these kind of models it's like well what can you do with your receipt and this is where oh, yeah. the next level of DeFi started to come around because I'd be like well now that you got that receipt 
we need to do whatever. So you can take that receipt and lock it up. You're earning your interest, but you're talking about a percentage of a ver of a percentage of a fraction of a percentage. Yeah. Right. Even if you own most of the pool, you're talking about very little profit. So it incentivizes you further. Then you can take your receipt and lock that up and earn more yield. They'll they'll do some funny, more tokenomic games with that receipt, and that's where you hear people start wanting to really staking and do things. Yeah. So you'll go to Uniswap and you'll provide liquidity just so you can get the receipt. Right. Then you'll take that receipt and go throw it in a locker or something that's going to pay you 20% yield right. or 300% yield yeah. or whatever weird Something number wild, they're doing. Wild, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's all for another episode um, and whatnot. But centralized exchange versus decentralized exchange, the big difference is, of course, in the perfect blockchain world, the decentralized Decentralized exchange would be um, truly decentralized, open, permissionless, and you wouldn't depend on a third party. That third party is the smart contracts doing all of the um, swapping, right? Okay. Um, we're not there yet, but we get closer and closer. So we'll be there. And that is it. Well, I have one question. Should I save it for the after show? No, well, go for it. Okay. It'll be the closing one. What would it t like? What would it take for the smart contract to be the third party? I mean, obviously, I know I keep asking you all these million dollar questions. No. I mean, the smart contract is the third party. But you're saying we're not there yet, so. Well, because you have to trust the smart con. You have to be able to not just trust the smart contract when it's when it's there. You can you read smart contracts? No. So how do you know it's legit? Yeah, okay. And if it's not a popular exchange, how do you know there's not a backdoor in that smart contract? So you hear about people getting rug pulled and yeah. things like that. It's because the smart contracts aren't secure. So would that mean like there's going to be jobs popping up for people who read smart contracts to like help build like, the consultant? Those are called auditors. So when you hear about mm. this needs to be audited, you need a smart contract auditor. Mm. And then time tells, too. You know, teams get trusted. Developer teams get trusted. Um, it's it's highly unlikely at this point that Uniswap has crap smart contracts, mm -hmm. right? There might be other issues, Is that like a pause button they built in. So yeah. if somebody does find a way to take advantage of the smart contract in a way it wasn't intended, they can stop it. Which means they can stop anything. Yeah, which means it's <laughs> right? centralized. Um, yeah, it's way more centralized than you know uh, people would like to assume. Yeah. But you probably you, you probably don't need to worry about the smart contract in and of itself. And that's because they've kind of proven themselves over time. Right. Okay. Versus some jerk with just a podcast who he talks too much <laughs> says, "Hey, I just started an exchange. Everybody, come use it." Yeah. Why? Because yeah. I said I used a smart contract and yeah. I built it. Yeah. And I talk a lot. And again, that would be the tr you would trust be trusting you. Yeah, you really got to trust me. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Um. So, let me just have you redefine real quick. Probably. Sex versus Dex. What's the <laughs> difference? Sex versus Dex. I feel like that should be like a early two thousand songs. Sex versus Dex. <laughs> All right. Um, oh God. Go ahead. What's What's the difference? Well, I, st I still think my original response was really good that um, centralized exchange has like a um, a central authority that 
can say what they like yes no pause stop you can have this you can't have this um and then decentralized exchange is an exchange um where <laughs> it's decentralized it's permissionless it's open um that's that's pretty much it yeah <laughs> That's pretty much. But what's that one driving factor that really revolutionized the difference? Um, the smart contracts. The automated market makers. Those oh, pools yeah. changed the game. The oh, okay. So wait, hold on. So the pools are the automated uh, AMMs. Yeah. That's what an automated market maker in, a, in an old system, right? Wow, why you did needed that just a market maker. Enter my ears right now, like my brain. <laughs> yeah. Well, good because that means probably the same thing. Probably because I didn't explain it very well. Yeah. Well. So yeah. That's the big difference. Oh, the pool. I'm writing this down. That pool is the automated market maker. Pool. You don't need to have buyers and sellers meet anymore. Oh, my gosh. You okay. just have a pool of resources. Wow. And that was game-changing for the whole DeFi and decentralized yeah. exchange. Okay. Space. Wow. Lots of fireworks going off here. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you all are here to witness this. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All right. So we, of course, will have resources on this. If you visit theblockument.com, you'll be able to find where you can listen to the show. We're on all the different podcasts. You'll find the link to the YouTube, um, plus resources of things we talked about. And we can, we're, I think we're on some social medias. Yeah, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook. All right. I believe that's everything. YouTube. All right. Yep. We're Just on Roku. At Roku, that's yeah. right. We're on the, um, what's the Roku channel? Streamcastic. Streamcastic. And then you can go check out Blockcastic. Yep. Um, so watch us on your TV. Yeah, you can watch us on your TV, Amazon, Roku. Um, and we're looking to build the channel up with other podcasters so you can check out us and other blockchain and crypto and Web3 related content yeah. as we build the channel up. Um Find us always at the Blockuments, and that is it. Come for the riches. Stay for the revolution. All right. Peace. Peace.